0: Exodus chapter 2, and uh, this week, Abby asked me what I was going to do with these last three verses of Exodus chapter 2. Was I going to put them into the next chapter? And I said, no, I'm just going to preach on those three verses. I said you might be surprised at how much how long I can preach on three verses. I think that might be the reason why we don't have a song after my sermon this morning. Someone probably saw that I was preparing anyway. I'm a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> Exodus chapter 2 verse 23 to 25 let's read these verses. And God knew. A perfect fall day can end very quickly with a call saying, Come quick, meet me at the ER. No one wants to get a phone call like that, but they do happen. And when those calls come, many thoughts run through our minds. Probably the most common thought that runs through people's minds when those things are happening is, where is God? That's not a throwaway question. It's, it's the agony of our hearts. And tragedy touches the very core of who we are. And depending on the severity of the trial that comes our way and the, leng- the length of it, it could turn into something more on the lines of trauma. Trauma, for many, is a very real part of their life. Uh, Bessel van der Kolk, a psychiatrist, noted for his research in post-traumatic stress, has noted that one in five Americans has been molested. One in four grew up with an alcoholic in their home. One in three couples experienced physical violence in their relationships. Many veterans and their families deal with a very great pain after combat. Trauma really can affect all of our being. It can affect our bodies, our minds, our relationships. And most importantly, it can also affect our own view of reality. And we may ask ourselves, where is God? There's a lot that we experience in the world around us that is There are a lot of trauma that's very hidden these days. Uh, I, I read a passage that talked about institutional slavery. We may not have government instituted slavery today, but we do have human trafficking that does occur. And we ought not minimize the reality that there is psychological manipulations that people experience that's very traumatic. There's often physical abuse and despair that's all around us, even though it may be very hidden from our view. The first two chapters of Exodus actually prompt us to ask this question, where is God? Does He not know that Pharaoh is afflicting Israel? Does God not see that there are babies being tossed into the Nile? Does not God see the wickedness all around me, us here even, living in America? Where is God? And these verses are here to say that God is never absent. No matter what is going on around us, God is never absent. These verses actually interrupt the story flow and it's a rhetorical aside. Moses is telling the story, and he has to now stop for a moment and say, it may appear as though God's not present, but no, in reality, he is very present. He knew and he knows what's going on because he's not absent. The Lord Almighty was in the background as if." He is now coming into the foreground, and we're starting to see him act. Particularly in the next chapter, we're going to see a very dramatic shift to God in the foreground through the call of Moses and the burning bush. I don't know if you've read the Psalms lately, and I hope you do read the Scriptures frequently, but the Psalms often have a particular pattern in which a heart of a suffering person is crying out in anguish wondering where God is, and then as the psalm progresses, God reveals that He has never ever been absent, that He's been there and becomes a source of encouragement to those who are suffering. Now, there's a pattern that's there that also exists in other parts of Scripture. I mean, you might not realize this, but in the books of Daniel and Revelation, Ezekiel, Uh, Zechariah, some of those prophetic books that have like some really strange imagery, these books talk about life on earth from God's perspective. And God has uh, an awareness of what's going on, and all the confusion that we see in this world is progressing orderly to God's expected end. Now, these verses here that we're looking at today are designed to encourage us that no matter what we are going through, that God sees, He knows, and He cares for each one of His children. He demonstrated this supremely in the giving of His own Son through human suffering to redeem people whom He loves. And so, I want us to take time to reflect this this, this three... Verses kind of are structured in such a way that we can kind of, we do see that what, what God, or excuse me, what humans know on earth is different from what God knows in heaven. And so, as this three-sentence Scripture starts, we see in verse 23, what are the kinds of things that men know on the earth? Moses says, verse 23, During those many days, the king of Egypt died. During those many days. Isn't that just how it is when we're underneath of a a great deal of suffering? We think that this will never end. And when we're suffering, we get filled with anxiety thinking, This is going to go on forever. You know, if you've ever stood at the beach and you've looked out across the ocean, it may be, you might think that you're seeing the ends of the earth, but you're actually only seeing about three miles. Someone who is five foot seven, standing without any obstructions, tends to only see a very limited perspective. Now, if you go to where I, I was from, and you go to Toronto, and you go up to the CN Tower, and you, you, you're in the observation deck, you're quite a ways off the ground. But even then, you can only see 42 miles into the distance. Our perspective on the ground is so much different from God's perspective above. Suffering and injustice will come to an end no matter how we're personally experiencing the depth of it. We're just not tall enough to see around the dip in the horizon. We can't see five hours down the road, let alone five months down the road. God ultimately knows. But does that mean that what we experience on the ground then is of no consequence? Oh, no, no, no. What we experience is real. We are experiencing suffering, and it's no less real, even if it will be temporary, and God knows that. But yet, it's difficult for us, and so we see, we as humans see suffering, and we see injustice going on. Verse 23, during those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Israel moaned underneath of the weight. Their soul was crying out. The mental grief was getting to a point uh, it couldn't continue. I, I have to admit, like, maybe I, this is an evidence that I'm suffering from PTSD. But back when COVID was a thing and we were locking down, I think by week seven I was about ready to go crazy. I thought, this is never going to end. The government has got its heel on us, and we're not going to get out of this. And it felt like it would be forever. My soul was crying out. And then my, my grief, we had to cancel Easter services that year. It just it was just going on and on and on. But I know that what we experienced that spring cannot be compared to the kinds of suffering that others experienced have suffered in times gone by. It cannot compare, for example, to two brave women who suffered in Ravensbrück concentration camp in 1944. Those two women, Corey and Betsy Ten Boom, had been hiding Jews in their Dutch home, and they had been very successful for many years. They had a secret room that was no larger than a small wardrobe closet, and you can see a picture of it on the wall there was a, a false front and people could crawl in there and they could hide six people at a time and over the years of Nazi occupation they had saved 800 people but finally they were they were exposed by neighbors and they were sent to concentration camp the whole family was arrested and the girls were separated from the others they were put in the filthy Despicable camp. And Betsy died in the camp. And I no doubt it felt like it was going to be forever for Corey, that she would have the same fate as Betsy, but within 10, 12 days, she was miraculously released by a clerical error. I bring this up to kind of acknowledge that there is a systemic evil that does exist in our world. And at times it makes us wonder at the wisdom of God to permit evil in the world. And when people cry out because of the evil, they're involuntarily crying out for help. Even unbelievers who are experiencing this and have nowhere to turn are still crying out to something. People may not believe in God, and when they cry out because they see injustice around them, they're saying that they actually acknowledge that there is a supreme justice out there. Our world is disordered as far as the eye can see, and this disorder creates within all of us a groaning urgency for creation to be renewed. Romans 8.22, Paul talks about this. Mankind truly knows on earth what it means to suffer, and the longing for justice is very real within all of our hearts. But this knowledge of injustice and suffering can lead us to a calling out to some higher power. And I find it interesting that that in the crying out here in verse 23, the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out for help. To who? Well, it's left open-ended. Now, it's, it's, it's just the human nature in our constitution that we do cry out, and we expect maybe that someone will hear us. Well, in the case of Israel, someone did hear, and that higher power was God. But it's very interesting to me that that in this receptive, this hearing by God, Moses at this time does not use the particular specific name, his personal covenant name of Jehovah or Yahweh, as the Hebrews would say it. Instead, he talks about this higher power in a generalized way, talking about God as the literal, it's Elohim, and I see in this that before a person is born again, God is a very abstract philosophical problem to unravel. And it shows up in the, how we try to address the moral problem of evil philosophically. And we have this continual question that uh, goes on, what is God's relationship to evil? Is God good, but yet He doesn't have the power to intervene in the courses of evil? Or is God wicked because He could prevent, but yet He chooses not to prevent? But I want to say very clearly that God is not an abstract principle that we are called to solve. He's a person who must be accepted for who he is. Just as much as you or I are a person and not a philosophical problem. Hi, my name is John, and I'm a philosophical problem. That doesn't work. I don't want you to try to figure out who, you know, solve the issue of who who this person is. I want you to take me for who I am. And this is how God is. And wouldn't we not expect that if we require that even of ourselves? All the religions of the world have no real good answer for the problem of evil. Christianity is unique among the religions of the world. It teaches us that even though God created the world in its original harmony, its beauty, its created order, the entrance of sin into the world didn't surprise him one bit. In other words, it's not a problem for God. He knows, and He created a universe where this would be a part of it. And God knew that when the creation of sin occurred, when He didn't create the sin, but He knew that it would come, and as it came, it It created disturbance in the world. It created disturbance even in heaven. A curse fell on all things. But he also knew that this was necessary in order to create a more perfect, permanent dominion that might come through the triumph of his only begotten Son. That's very unique. So it didn't surprise God at all that there would be sin and that there would be a need for an atonement. Moses says here that their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And so we ought to take a moment to consider that if God is not absent, then what does He know that we don't know? So verse 24 to 25, we see the perspective from heaven. I'll just read it again. It says, and God heard their groaning. And God remembered His covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob, and God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. There's two specific responses that are described here. The first response is that God heard, and then second, He remembered His covenant Now, I want to focus on the senses in the first instance there. God heard in verse 24, it says, but then in verse 25, we also see that God saw, and then cognitively, it says He knew. That's a really weird way to talk, isn't it? I think the King James says um, God had respect. Uh, God had respect for what, though? for what? Even in the King James, there's italicized words that indicate that they had to supply something to make it make sense, because we don't really talk about that. We always have like a direct object. We, God knew what? In other words, Moses just left it open-ended to say, God didn't not know this. In fact, he knew everything. God knew everything that was happening because he was present even while they were suffering because he's never absent. Now, it also says there that there is a book of remembrance. Thinking about that last idea of thinking and remembering and knowing, God actually in the scriptures is described as having a book of remembrance. Uh, A couple of years ago, we preached through the book of Malachi. And in the book of Malachi, and I encourage you to look at it later, Malachi 3.16, you should remember that, 3.16, Malachi 3.16, talks about an official record, a book of remembrance that God has. It's, it's, a, it's a figurative expression, but it talks about, like, an official record of what's going on in the world. Now, just recently, in Canada, Parliament, the Canadian Parliament, received a 98-year-old man into the chamber as a guest of honor. Regrettably, they had a short memory And the guest was a Ukrainian man who had actually, in World War II, served in the Nazi military units that fought the Russian army. Think about that for a moment. They honored a Nazi because they were focusing on a new enemy, Russia. And it was highly inappropriate for them to do so. In fact, it led to the resignation of the Speaker of the House of Parliament in Canada. I personally think the the leader of the, the Prime Minister should resign too. That's for another story, another time. But the deputy leader, this is what I want to emphasize, is that the deputy leader of the majority party tried to put forward a motion to expunge the official record so that there would be no record in the future that parliament had a Nazi in the chamber. And that attempt, I believe, illustrates the foolishness of mankind to think that they can simply change the record. God sees, and you can't change the record. He sees the suffering He sees the injustice that we experience. And he is eternally aware of everything that occurs in the world, and humanity is responsible for when they sin. He knows that there will be a sparrow that will fall to the ground. He takes note of that. He also knows how many squirrels our cat has caught. This week, I want... I kid you not, there were four squirrels in our garage that Misty had brought in as playthings, and three of them were dead and one escaped. How much more value are you than sparrows and squirrels, folks? He knows. God sees and He knows the injustices that you experience. He knows when He knows the injustice that the Jews have experienced in Europe. He knows the abuse that young women are receiving as they cross through our southern borders. He knows when people slander your character. He knows when elected officials are filled with corruption. Hebrews 4.13 says, Neither is there any creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Yes, but why does God allow these things to happen? And so we're now left with what God tells us about himself, and I want to remind you God is not a philosophical problem to solve. He's a personal God. And we must be found acceptable to him on his terms and not on our own. God will keep his word and he will act. Not only does God see and care, but he will keep covenant and he will act. Verse 24, we see this, that he remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God is a covenant-keeping being, and that's how he wants you to understand who he is. He always keeps his word. And see, God initiated a covenant with Abraham, and a covenant has terms and conditions. And because God is an infinite being, I am not an infinite being. You are not an infinite being. Yet God comes to Abraham on the basis of pure grace. Abraham has no standing with with God to come on his own terms and say, Hey, God, I want to set up a, a covenant with you, and these are my terms and agreements. God is the one who reveals himself to mankind because he is the creator of mankind. And while we all have internally a sense of a higher power, our sin, our limitations cause us to get confused about what's going on in the world and we create substitute gods that we would prefer instead of the true and living God. And so it's necessary for God to reveal Himself to us by grace alone. God is completely within His right to draw up responsibilities for us to sustain a relationship with Him, and He does. He gives a law which declares His own holiness, and God requires holiness of those who will have a covenant relationship with Him to be His covenant partners. When God created man and woman in the beginning, He created them in a covenant format, We get the gift of His image, but we have the responsibility to submit to Him and obey and keep His word. And since we are incapable, though, of keeping covenant with God, God mercifully, mercifully keeps the obligations that we owe to Him. That's also pure grace. In other words, He acts to make sure that we will not fall from the relationship terms that he has established. God keeps the covenant for us. How does he do this? He did it by sending his only begotten son into the world, who lived a perfect life. He kept covenant with God. He never, ever told a lie. He never had an impure thought. He lived the life that we were supposed to live under covenant obligation. And yet he didn't just keep the life, he also died and took the penalty that we deserve. The covenant with Abraham is now kept in Christ so that by repentance through faith, we can receive the gracious terms of the covenant and have eternal life. You see, God takes punishment for are covenant violations. Now, I want to repeat myself here for a moment. God is a covenant-keeping being. So, when we talk about God creating a world that He knew would have sin within it, we're talking about a God who also had a plan to redeem it even as He created it. We're talking about a God who who understood that there would be some suffering and there would be great injustices, but think of the irony here with me for a moment. The greatest injustice and the greatest suffering was embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. So you experience the effects of sin but Christ took sin and identified with our suffering and identified with the injustices in this world. We may not be able to fully grasp the ins and outs of what God was doing, but we do know this, that God is not absent. Our great king was not so proud that he couldn't accept the terms of his own creation. He humbled Himself and became a servant even unto death, so that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Yes, we continue to have suffering and injustice, and we might be tempted to ask ourselves, where is God now? Our Heavenly Father will send His Son to redeem the world at the end of this age. It may feel like we're underneath a tyranny and a bondage like Israel in whatever situation we're experiencing, but we must not lose our eyes of hope and faith, for He is coming again. Just as He redeemed Israel, He is going to redeem this fallen creation and renew it and recreate it, and justice and glory will fill the earth. We now anticipate the restoration of all things. We will be gathered, and heaven and earth will become one, and Christ's glorious kingdom will be here." James 1:17 to 18, says this: "Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of Lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought f- us forth by the word of his truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So when we encounter suffering, we ought not say as the wicked say. We ought to humble ourselves and recognize that our sin truly deserves the consequences of the sufferings that we experience. In fact, we even deserve an eternity in hell. That's truly what we deserve within the whole scheme of things. But yet God is working out something that we don't see yet. God is keeping covenant with Abraham. God is keeping covenant with Isaac. He is keeping covenant with Jacob. And He is going to keep covenant with Christ, and He will come again. So let me encourage you. Respond to the covenant made with Christ on your behalf. Put your faith and trust in Christ who died on the cross so that you wouldn't have to die on a cross. That's the great suffering. He experienced separation from his heavenly Father. I personally believe that he descended into hell itself and experienced the wrath that others will receive for all of eternity. And how fair is that? It's incredibly ironic, actually, that on the one hand, God has a book of remembrance. God has an intentionality to forget. He has a mechanism to forget. I know how hard it is to forget injustices that have been committed against you because I am also a person, and I know how hard it is to forgive and also to forget. I think there is a real suffering that we still experience when we forgive others. But there is a mechanism in which God the Father forgets our sin, and that mechanism is when He looks at His Son. He does not see our sin anymore. Our sins are forgotten, and they are removed buried in the deepest of seas. God will act, and He always acts, and when He does, it will be for our good. Romans eight twenty eight says, for we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for God, f- together for good, and for those who are called according to His purpose. I'm sorry I misread that. All things work together for good. It is good for those who are called according to his purpose. See, God called Abraham, God, God called Moses, and God is calling you. How will you respond? If you're groaning underneath of your own suffering and the weight feels awful heavy, I want you to know that God knows. He sees because he is never absent. Let's pray.